I'm just, I'm just flabbergasted that anyone's going to listen to this shit. And welcome to the Beer Vana Show, broadcast in Portland on X-Ray FM and X-ray. available anywhere on your favorite podcast service. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Patrick. We're joining you from our respective homes once again. We are socially distant. I think they've discovered they discovered that the coronavirus can travel in, in little aerosol droplets and can hang around for a while and travel far distances. But I don't think they've figured out that it can travel through the intertubes. That's right. We're safe. Whew. So you're not going to be <laughs> infecting me and, and me not infecting you. Right. Okay. <laughs> that was a, a, one of your finer openings. <laughs> uh, I try to top myself every week. Uh, you are Jeff Allworth. Fine, sir. You write, bu- you write books, Beer Bible, uh, Secrets of Master Brewers, Widmer Way. Are some of those books? That's correct. Find them at local independent retailer near you. That's a good call. Keep them in business. Everybody's suffering. Yeah. And, you know, it is true that this is a wonderful time. You're possibly uh, home alone uh, or home, not able to work, finding yourself with more time. Well, why not read a, a nice book? And why yeah. not read a nice beer book? I mean, yeah, come you, on. You might be slightly stressed out, unable to sleep, need something to, <laughs> <laughs> to aid in that. Uh, no. uh, if you want that, go to my book. If you, if you, but Jeff's book will keep you awake. They're riveting. That's right. And you, uh, you are Patrick Emerson, uh, economics professor at Oregon State University. And that book you're talking about is a intermediate <laughs> microeconomics text. And wow. nothing says you remember that. Nothing says scintillation like intermediate microeconomics. I know. <laughs> nothing says quick, quick, good sleep and, uh, <laughs> and cracking that thing. And, you know, it'll take you about half a paragraph and you'll be in, in la la land. So, uh, yeah, better than, uh, better than Ambien. <laughs> I'm actually going to find it and read it and and determine whether that's true i i suspect it's interesting well i might i might do it just because then i can say well at least i read your book (laughs) what are you insinuating (laughs) i let me say it outright since you've never read any of mine (laughs) that that your your books exist on my bookshelf they're in within reaching distance of me right now in fact (laughs) yeah yeah when i you know i'll tell you one thing this should just make you happy. You know, obviously we do lots of Zoom meetings these days. And when I do Zoom meetings over my shoulder, your book is there. Well, I will take that given that's yeah. about as good as it's going to get. <laughs> so, and, all, all the, and actually, yeah. Uh, oh, good. Well, one of your sons read part of my book or some of it uh, or all of it or something at one point. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> was that, was that, a, well, was no, that the, the younger son? Oh, it was no. Simon. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know if you were saying names, but I guess uh, Simon has, has Simon uh, has joined our joined podcast many times, yeah. so he's out. There's no, there's no escaping that now, Simon. Yeah. Sorry. <clears throat> All right, so hey, uh, uh, I don't want to go any farther with a dry mouth. Yeah, <laughs> and, and uh, so a few weeks ago we did a podcast. We we're, we're starting these series of podcasts. We're doing sort of virtual beer tours of cities that we can't visit now in person, but we can virtually. Uh, a few weeks ago, we talked to Beth Demon uh, in, from San Diego, and she mentioned some of her favorite breweries. And the good folks at the Pure Project from San Diego, California, have sent us some beer. Yes, they have. And Actually, they sent you the beer. Well, but I'm not holding it, that against them. 
in a well, it had to send one of us the beer, but in a remarkable uh, moment of coordination, I got you some of that beer. So yeah. now, now we can share it together here on air. Yeah, they sent us um, three beers. We'll try two of them today. I have the Rain Unfiltered Pilsner with me. I have Formless Reflections, which this is an interesting uh, development in uh, beer and nomenclature. They describe it as a murky IPA. And we're about to find out what that means, I guess. They also sent us the Hidden Grotto, which is a murky double IPA with coconut, uh, which sounds delightful too, but uh, perhaps a little too much for, for our, our aging brains if we're trying to do a podcast right now. Uh, yeah, the truth is they actually sent us a couple of other beers that are in bottles that I didn't know <sighs> Wow. <laughs> wow. Now I'm never reading your book, Jeff. <laughs> I was about to say, you know, had you read my book, I might have felt more gracious about that. But uh... <laughs> Well, yeah. fine. Uh, I, will, I will drown my sorrows in in uh in Pilsner. And By the I, way, this is going to be interesting. These have a couple of this one has a couple of hops that I have a an interesting relationship to. So I'm going to I'm I'm going to find this interesting. Uh I love a beautiful bright uh Pilsner, but I also really love like a Keller beer. So this is um oh, actually this is quite bright. It's uh a bit hazy and it's very light. It's a uh, very light straw colored. Ooh, it's quite beautiful. So one of the things I always think of when I think of uh, San Diego IPAs is that they're quite pale. Yep. One of the characteristics that they eschewed early on was caramel malt. They were one of the leaders of that. And this hazy that I have here, this murky IPA, Formless Reflections, is very pale. So it's it's hazy, but it's very pale. It almost looks kind of like a lemonade. Yeah, the the Pilsner is uh, also quite pale. Actually, I would say that the visually, um, just to give you a reference point, maybe not all our listeners, um, but for those local, reminds me a lot of the Crux IPA in, in, in visual appearance. So it's just a, a little bit hazy, quite light colored, looks great. The Formless Reflections, this is a deep cut for longtime listeners. <laughs> I'd place this at about a six on the hazometer. Ah, oh, the hazometer. Yeah, we haven't <laughs> brought that out in a while. I know, right? Yeah, mine is probably like a, a three. Ah. Yeah, it's quite, it's actually reasonably, huh. reasonably bright. Wow. So my, 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 uh, my beer has Nelson Mosaic. Uh, oh. And, and, uh, uh, Huel Melon, um, which so those first two I have a troubled relationship with, but I have to tell you, yeah. this is quite a, quite a nice beer. Uh, it's it's a good deal more fruity and not so savory or musky uh, as I would expect it. So I'll, I'll get back to you, but this is kind of uh, floating my boat. Mm. Yeah, this Pilsner is um, really delightful. A really good summer one. It's not. Um, it's. Uh, it's sort of a Bavarian style, I would say. It's not super uh, hopped, which I was kind of just because of the reputation of San Diego. I was thinking maybe right. they've, maybe they've really popped their uh, their pilsner, but no, actually, it sort of expresses more kind of floral, even a bit citrus. You did a good job, my friend. I'm looking at the uh, information about that, and it is uh, they use Weirman Pilsner malt and uh, Mietelfrüh, Hollertal Mietelfrüh. So ah. there you go. Yeah, it's um. It's excellent. 
I will say it. It's I know it's free, so everyone, you know, full disclosure, <laughs> free. But this is really good. This would have uh, this would have placed high in our uh, in our Pilsner off. I think. Wow. Well, I'm glad they sent two cans because I have one in the refrigerator, so I'll have one later. Mm. You're going to actually really like this IPA. The white wine is coming through that that the Nelsons are famous for, which I don't usually get. I usually get a musky thing, but it's very white winey, so kind of uh, it seems Californian that way. Yeah. And and would uh, so how do you uh, how do you rate their their nomenclature? Is murky a good? No, no, it's not murky at all. Uh, murky suggests uh, chunky and gross to me, and yeah, it's actually like pond water. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> I have to say, it's better than that. It's. Uh, I mean, <laughs> it looks like lemonade. It really looks like lemonade. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Oh, I'm excited. I'm gonna try it. Yeah, I don't know why. I wonder. We'll have to. We'll have to find out why. Why they chose to call them murky. We have. Uh, Maybe home they just wanted to avoid the uh, the hazy, all the baggage that comes with calling something hazy. I'm sure that's the case. We we have a homebrew in the keg right now, and every time I pour that out, I think, oh, that's that is, one the, that is one of the ugliest things I've ever seen in my life. Uh, yeah, it's uh, definitely that. Ours is murky. This is less murky. Yeah, we kind of threw everything, including the kitchen sink, in that one. It shows. <laughs> yeah, it does. Could be All worse, right. but it certainly couldn't look worse. Well, now I understand. Beth's uh, affection for the Pure Project. Um, my beer is fantastic. Sounds like yours is great too. So thank you very much, Pure Indeed. Project San Diego. Indeed. Thanks, guys. And uh, other breweries, mentioned or unmentioned, if you want to send us some beer, you can reach out to us. The usual channels we'll mention at the end of the show. And uh, we'll try it on air if you're feeling confident that we'll love it. Yeah. Or not. And, yeah. Because that's good radio too. <laughs> Now I know not to trust you when you say that you've got three beers. They sent me three beers. I have some for you. I yeah. never said that. Right. They said I had three beers for you. <laughs> <laughs> that bastard. All right. Uh, so uh, today we're going to do part two of our deep dive into beer distribution. As we talked about last time, this literally is one of the things we've wanted to do for years since we first started podcasting. We wanted to talk about beer distribution because it is such a sort of, uh, it's not entirely invisible, but it's kind of a mysterious part of the whole the whole business. We today have our second uh, part two of our interview with uh, Craig Malarkey of Sound Beverage Distributors in Bellingham. Washington. And we're going to sort of move into some of the more sort of thorny aspects of, of distribution today, a little bit, maybe more of the controversial aspects of uh, distribution today. So um, that's pretty exciting. It is exciting. And Craig was a great sport. Nobody likes to talk about, you know, nobody likes to have hard questions uh, asked. I think Craig did a great job. And I think he really was a passionate and eloquent spokesman yeah. for the importance of distribution. Um, I think he did a great job of, you know, I think that many people feel like uh, it's it's a, just a bottleneck and uh, middlemen raising prices for nothing. And I, I think Craig shows all the reasons why that's not the case. Uh, and, and that kind of comes out even more uh, to, to, in the piece we're going to Great. So today. we will get to that uh, in a moment. But first, of course, as always, we need to bring you the news. Things are getting heated out there. Two cases to reveal to you 
In the first, New York's Montauk Brewing recently suffered blowback for posting pro-Black Lives mm-hmm. Matter uh, statements. Uh, on they, they, It was a one they posted mm-hmm. on their, their store. Commenters, in reaction, took over their Instagram and Facebook accounts with assaults condemning the BLM movement, and uh, they were uh, rather nasty. In another case, uh, staff at Michigan's Shorts Brewing has been mistreated by customers upset with long waits uh, and changing conditions due to the COVID-19 pandemic. According to the brewery, customers have sworn, yelled, laughed in staff's faces, called them names, threatened negative reviews, and belittled employees to the point where they were brought to tears. Well, that sucks. So... Thanks. It, it is a dark time right now in, in America, and we need to be gentle to each other. It's uh, everybody's trying to to do the right thing, and uh, we need to, uh, I think, be be gentle. Like we, this COVID thing is real, and uh, these breweries are trying to keep you alive. And Black Lives do matter, and uh, breweries expressing support for them are are. Uh, uh, to be commended. So, uh, yeah, and spare a thought for, for, you know, public facing staff. Yeah, have totally. To, you know, in order to make a living, they've got to get out there and expose themselves potentially to the virus. So, I, I hate the fact that this has become kind of a culture war thing. Uh, it's a, it's a, a courtesy to your fellow humans to do the right thing. And, Totally. And, and the these are the staff there are, you know, <laughs> they're not, they're not getting paid the big bucks. Uh, they're, they're risking their own uh, health to be serving you. So yeah, yeah. be gentle. Yeah. That's a shame. The second news item, thanks to president Trump's recent tariffs on Canadian aluminum or aluminium. Aluminium. <laughs> <laughs> if you're from the old country, uh, yes. cans are becoming hard to find. We're experiencing a can shortage, Ninkasi CEO Nigel Francisco told Eugene's KVAL. So what's happening is there's so much packaged product being sold and consumed in the market right now, it's pushing some of the small breweries like us to supply shortages. The situation has been exacerbated by the industry's shift from bottles to cans and the shift from draft to packaged beer caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah, I mean, first you had this overall market dynamic, which was changing so quickly from bottles to cans. Cans have suddenly become accepted, widely accepted, and I think appreciated, in fact, by customers. And then now you have this this big seismic shift away from from kegs and into into retail package. So, yeah, not help. Yeah, not help by not help by tariffs. No, not not help by tariffs at all. Uh, I yeah, I, I I know breweries are authentically worried about it. So let's hope that. Is fixed somehow. I know the the can manufacturers are trying to get caught up, and um, uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Maybe next the next innovation will be like beer in plastic bags or something. <laughs> I think I think last week I had a bunch of grim news, and this week was kind of grim news. You know what? I'm going to try to find good news for next week's podcast. Yeah, come on, man. We're a beer podcast after all. Hey, by the way, speaking of beer in plastic bags, that that sort of sparked an old memory. You know, I. Uh, <laughs> My father's family is partly part from Canada. So I used to spend my summers in Canada. And uh, uh, back in the day, and Canadians can tell me whether it's still true, we used to buy our milk in, in these plastic bags. And you had your little plastic milk bag holder, and then you'd cut a little notch in the corner of the plastic bag, and you'd pour it out that way. I wonder why. <laughs> Mysteries of my childhood. Why, where, where did that technology come from? Why was it so popular? And where did it go? And why did it never hit America? Why were you in Canada? 
because <laughs> my grandmother's Canadian. And there was, we had a family uh, uh, place in Ontario uh, for those Canadians. It was uh, near Smith Falls, Ontario, Canada, on the Rideau Lake, the Great Rideau Lake, which is part of the Rideau Canal, which is built for the War of 1812. Uh, as you know, that joined the St. Lawrence and the Ottawa Rivers. Thank you. Yeah, yes. Now you know. <laughs> I definitely knew that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Any any other uh, questions about Canadian history and geography that you'd like to know? You have you have a wealth of information about uh, apparently Canada, Britain, Brazil, and India. You're you're a man of the world. <laughs> it's an impressive it's impressive uh, the hodgepodge of information you have in your head. Yeah. Uh, just don't ask me anything about Africa, unfortunately. I've never been. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this out here, and I hope my 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 blog sponsors are listening. Mm. The Guinness Brewery of Dublin, Ireland, yes. has breweries in Africa. They're kind of famous. Yes, uh, Nigeria, yes. I think, is is the main brewery there, and I believe that they should once COVID is all. Settled and taken care of. Send me to Africa so that us. I can see that brewery. Us, us, hundred percent, <laughs> and we can see that brewery and understand a little bit more about the African beer scene. So I, I just throw that out there. Yeah, it's one of my big. You know, that's one of my big bucket list things. I've visited. I've never been to Africa either. I would love to go. Most con- most continents, not Antarctica either, but haven't been to Africa. Totally, I would got, love to. Got to got to fix. Got to fix that. I once had. Now we're getting off topic, and and we got to get to Craig. But I will just say this one uh, anecdote. I was Africans drink beer, uh, so we're we're perfectly on topic. <laughs> that's true, but I'm about to go a little bit off topic. I was I in mean, a cab in your former home, uh, Denver, Colorado, one time, uh, yes. taking that like seven hour trip from uh, the airport into town, <laughs> and uh, I had an Ethiopian uh, cab driver. And he told me amazing stories about Ethiopia and made me want to go there greatly. So that's also in my bucket list. And I don't know that there's a Guinness brewery there, but anyway. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll go anywhere. I'll go all over Africa. Yeah. I'd love to go all over Africa. Uh, okay. Well, why don't we turn to the topic at hand? And that is part two of our interview with Craig Malarkey of Sound Brewing. Last week, we did the general... Uh, questions about uh, beer distribution, beer distributors, what they do and why. And uh, we get a little more sort of inside baseball uh, today. We talk, we probe a little bit more about uh, the the business and some of the thornier aspects of the business. And um, as we said before, Craig was a great sport. So uh, let's hear from Craig. And joining us again is Craig Malarkey. He is the general manager of Sound Beverage Distributors Incorporated of Bellingham, Washington. Craig joined us last week. Uh, he's joining us again today to continue our riveting and engaging talk on uh, the mystery of beer distribution. Uh, Craig, yeah, welcome back. and I I don't know where the riveting. <laughs> is. We're on tape now. I want to qualify all of it. I don't understand how all you people are listening to this stuff. <laughs> we uh, we uh, yeah I'm not sure either but I guarantee I guarantee that this will be uh, two of our most popular episodes I don't I'm not sure why people care about uh, the details of business um, in this way but uh, it is these are always our most popular shows so you're you're kind of a big star right now and, and on that note let's dig in last week we 
kind of unfolded what distributors do, how distributors work, why they exist, and, and how they function. Let's get into little dig deeper here and get into some of the kind of complexities in the relationships between distributors, breweries, and retailers, and hear how you manage all of that. It, 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 one, one question I had, uh, just to kind of lead off, is, you know, in, in, in breweries compete against other breweries to sell beer. That's pretty clear, right? You're going to buy one beer. You're going to buy it from brewery A or brewery B. Our distrib- distributors aren't actually in competition with other distributors, right? That's that you. That's not really the the pressure point for you guys. Well, no, I would say just the opposite. We go out and compete against our the other distributors in town. Every day, that's what we do. We go compete against those other distributors. We want to sell our products more than they sell their beer products. So that depends on, uh, you call it, uh, the portfolio you call it a book, yeah? Is, am I getting that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that depends on your book. You'll, you're going to walk into uh, a, a pub or a grocery, talk to a grocery store, uh, and they're going to say, what beer do you have? Uh, and here, here is the, here's where it gets confusing for me or curious for me. Let's say they, they say, uh, we want an IPA, uh, and you represent, I don't know how many breweries, but a lot of them make IPAs. So how does that decision, (laughs) how do you make the decision about which IPA and, and you represent all of those breweries, right? So you want to, you want to, you want to sell all their beer. But the but a retailer uh, can only put one or two tap handles on, or you know, have so many so many IPAs on their shelves. So how does how does that whole thing work? Yeah, I mean that's a small portion of our business when you when you present it like that. You know, a draft handle IPAs. You know, we're presenting um, all of our IPAs pretty regularly. It may not be one at a time. A lot of especially on premise buyers now. You know they want to they want advance notice. They're kind of planning out this, planning out that. They want one of this, two of these. Um, so they kind of know you know what they want and what they don't want. And a lot of these IPAs now are being sold on reputation. And if they're not being sold on reputation, then it's because that particular sales rep at that time, for whatever reason, whether it's true is. It, the direction of management or his personal taste or a relationship with the supplier that he worked with the week before that individual is going to sell what IPAs at the, at the end of his pencil, you know, for a better term. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some, some distributors have gigantic books. Uh, We talked uh, about Columbia here in in, uh, Portland and I know that they have, uh, just a huge, they just represent a huge number of, of breweries, uh, uh, in addition to other kinds of producers, right? Especially in the case of very large distributors, is that a good model for a little brewery? Like how well (laughs) are you the runt at the litter trying to get your, your product noticed in a, in a big book like that? How does that whole thing work? It's tough. Yeah. I mean, for sake of a better term, you are, I mean, you would have an obstacle, you know, first off, you know, you're, you're only going to get compliments from me about Columbia distributing. Uh, <laughs> but with, 
with with that said, you know, their strengths are not going to be market by market. You know, they're going to want to sell, hmm. you know, a new craft brand that they think will sell and they can take throughout their entire territory. So that's a different mindset um, for them. And it's the one they have to have because that's their business model and it's it's an efficient one. But, you know, that's good news, really good news for that craft brewery that is on the verge and and together, you know, they think t- together we've got something here. That's really good news because they're they're going to cover a lot of a lot of territory and a lot of stores and it's going to be a uniform deal and it's a lot less work for the for the small brewer that this is happening to because it's being you know starting in Portland and and moving all the way through the system but if you don't make that cut yeah it's a problem and you have to go to a different option in 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 those markets and quite frankly a lot of times that may be a better option for a real small brewer by the way, in, in Washington, can breweries self-distribute as they can in, in Oregon? Yes. And if you wanted to buy back your rights, that's what you would do. If you were one of these small breweries and you felt like you could do a better job than a distributor, you'd, you would, you would, uh, in the case of a Washington brewer, you'd come to a, an agreement about uh, how much that would cost to end that relationship. It's, if, if you have entered into an agreement, you know, none of these small brewers fall under franchise protection. So it's not a big deal to them. But if you enter into an agreement with the brewery, yes. I see. That's how it would work. I want to push a little bit further on this relationship. And Patrick, help me out here if you see a better question. You you understand business better than (laughs) I do. Um, uh, So we we talked about franchise laws and little breweries um, and and how, how this relationship between brewers and, and distributors work. Uh, you know, we've heard examples of different distributors that have really championed a brand and make it made it a, a big success. And then we've heard cases of little breweries that kind of get lost in the book. Um, don't distributors, because of the franchise laws, because they 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 get to keep these these breweries in their books, um, don't they kind of have the power to decide? which breweries they put forward and which breweries they don't like how much how much how much can a brewery do uh there and how who's the dog and who's the tail let's put it that way well i mean (laughs) if you're a new brewer you know what is your goal what do you want to do i want to i want to sell my beers in every restaurant in portland oregon and and the zupan's grocery chain or whatever if that's your objective, then you got, okay, what are my options? And you have different options and you have smaller options and you have big options. And then you have to determine who you're going to partner with. If you make a mistake, and it doesn't matter what kind of brand you are. That first partnership, you've got to make the right decision or you have obstacles to overcome that, that other breweries didn't have to overcome. And overcoming those is difficult. And how you get there is many different paths. Um, and we've all learned. You know, six, seven years ago, distributors were in a mad rush to get every craft beer they could because, man, this, this category is growing and, and you throw them out there and half of them didn't sell. So now the, 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 the 
the brewers coming in behind that, you know, now there's this dark cloud. Now you got to tell. And yeah, I suppose that prohibits some non-risk uh, distributors to, to bring products in the future. In our case, and I think I speak for most distributors, man, if you've got a story, if you've got your act together, if you've got good beer, if you, if you want to come work with us and, and set realistic expectations, this is going to be a great place for you. But that's something that, you, you know, you don't know until there's a lot of dynamics that goes into wanting to sell someone's beer these days. Mm-hmm. Just the idea of selling someone's beer. I mean, we don't want to partner with people that aren't have the same passion with us that, you know, if, if I sense for one second that you don't have your act together from a production standpoint, we're not for you. We are right. not for you. And that's fine. So there's a lot more dime. It's not as cut and dry as you make it sound. There's many more dynamics that go into that decision to help people make the right decision of where they want to go, but make the right decision. Do your due diligence. Yeah, that's helpful. Uh, it seems like just, just thinking about the different products that you guys uh, represent, um, including, uh, you know, large import brands, uh, your partners at Anheuser-Busch, now the seltzer brand, some of the seltzers just fly off shelves. It's, it seems like those would be a lot easier to sell than working with craft brewers who have all these incredibly complex, uh, you know, they got a million beers and uh it just you know they they sell in more places. Uh, <laughs> um, our craft brewers kind of a pain in the butt to work with, just um, as a business side, not not well, personally. Let's, let's in your distinguishing selling different products, a deaf, dumb, blind man can sell white cloth <laughs> seltzer, and, <laughs> and 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 hopefully the smart guys which we like to think we are can sell even more of it but but yeah it's it's a it's a phenomenon but but no i mean they've changed they've changed um they understand they're not walking into our buildings anymore as if we're just we're just beer guys selling beer no we're business people that want to have relationships and sell beer together. Mm-hmm. And if, if they've kind of figured that out and they want, you know, when everyone wanted you, you could come in, I suppose. And I'm not, I'm speaking in generalities. You know, when you're, when you're the newest kid at the dance, everyone wanted you. Well, it's not right. like that anymore. So you have to come in now mm-hmm. with more of a story and more of a, little bit more humility so that together, you know, we can touch a nerve and build this thing. I'm curious, just as a general impression, do you think that the, the sort of level of business acumen in craft beer has increased over the years? That's my impression, at least. Yes, very much. I mean, a great so people- example would be, you know, you want to, you want a great interview, you know, come talk to a guy that, you know, he, he's just done it all. And he's just a, simple good dude it's the guy that started uh Coulson and mm-hmm. he's just been an absolute pleasure to work with and he takes chances and he's makes great beer and he takes pride in that but he's not too big for his <laughs> britches um you know that's he is the model of uh, to me of a small craft beer guy 
that got a little bit bigger because of the supplier distributor relationships. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm interested in, in uh, talking a little bit about kind of a big issue that seems to be confronting distribution uh, right now, which is the consolidation that we're seeing. Basically, it seems like since <laughs> since I've been drinking beer, uh, distributors uh, become more and more consolidated. And there's a company uh, on the West Coast called Reyes that has been, it seems like every couple of weeks, I, I, I see that they have purchased a new distributor somewhere on the West Coast. Um, yep. We, uh, <laughs> why, why is there so much consolidation? Uh, why is it happening? Efficiencies. Um, it's, it's harder, getting harder and harder to compete with that, uh, from a supplier relationship. You know, and mm. I look, you know, it's, it's funny to say that there, there are sharks swimming <laughs> outside my window. I mean, that's just the way it's going to be in, in 25 years, there's going to be distributors that Reyes may have 40 of the States locked up by them, but that's how it's going to be. But that doesn't mean there's not room for local distributors and how that emerges. You're going to have two mega systems, in my opinion, you're going to have two mega systems, but there's going to be a third system out there um, that's either piecemealed together nationally or regionally, but there will be a third system out there. But to your point, when I got into this business, as I told you earlier, there was 80 distributors. There's there's probably 15 to 20 in Washington State now. Um, so, yeah, the, they're circling out there and, and um, you know, Small businesses like Sound Beverage, it's going to be difficult for them to hang on in the future with consolidation. And I could have told you the same thing yeah. 23 years ago. So, mm. you know, it's still it's still within our control, but the clock's ticking on certain things that kick that type of stuff. So what, uh, what kind of strategies does a smaller independent have to compete in this environment? Well, our strength is, is uh, Columbia's, you know, their strength is efficiencies throughout this whole system, but they're far away. Our strength is we're local. You need, you know, you just blew your, uh, your Widmere Hef keg. God, I wish we'd start blowing more of those <laughs> kegs, but that, uh, um, we used yeah. to blow a lot of those kegs, but, uh, you know, say you ran out of beer, um, you know, we'll get it to you today. Or there's an inventory issue. You know, we're the local guy. We participate in everything local. That is a real strength. And from a supplier perspective, I mean, what do you want to walk into if you're a small brewer? And this is not, this is just from the perspective of a small brewer. Do you want to walk into a small distributor where, hey, they know you and you know a few of the guys or this big behemoth which has all of its perks. Don't get me wrong, but you don't really know anybody there. It's, it's, it's a big ass business and Mm -hmm. it's run differently and it's run well, but it's not, it can't be as, you can't have a, you know, Microsoft isn't as warm as the local computer guy in downtown Portland. That's starting to carve out a little share. I mean, does that make sense? 
I would. It's much funner to walk into a smaller distributor if I'm a supplier. Completely, yeah. Yeah, more. Uh, were you about to? You, you inhaled, Patrick, like you had a question. No. Uh, well, Go ahead, Jeff. <laughs> I'm thinking in terms of this consolidation. Clearly, it's not. <laughs> it's not great for small family breweries or uh, distributors. But what are the upsides no. and the downsides in the industry? I mean, during all this consolidation, we have seen beer, craft beer explode, uh, and 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 it and it seems not to have slowed down craft beer. Um, would would more consolidation affect that part of the business uh, negatively? Like, what are the for for people who drink beer and care about beer and care about local breweries? Is there a downside or an upside to this consolidation? I don't think there's a downside because there's always going to be, and some of their beers, even getting into a larger system, may travel. So they don't even know the difference if mm. it's a big distributor. But if, if not, there's going to be the local beer guy that's going to have everything. And, it's going to, and, and Portland's going to support that that company, whoever it is. And, and I know they struggle with getting that third port in the distribution is difficult, but other markets, other markets, that third tier is, is much clearer than yeah. it, that third option is much clearer than it, than what it is in Portland. Okay. Uh, now we have our, our, uh, our difficult questions. One th- <laughs> you ready for this? Uh, one thing that always crops up when you talk about distributors, and we've seen we've seen this in other places, doesn't seem like it's nearly as big a problem in the Northwest, is the question of incentives, and you know which are allowed and which are not allowed, um, and what. Uh, you know, there were, there've been cases like in, in Chicago and Boston and other places where, uh, those incentives became like pay to play. Uh, and so what, what kind of incentives can you offer retailers to put different products on and what can't you, where's that line? We can't, well, I mean, we pretty much can't offer anything, um, uh, I mean, I think there's what the new. I'm not because they're just so minute. Don't I don't want to rattle off the laws, but like give them like a, I don't know, 25 keychains or something. I, I, that's about the extent of it. Um, um, so incentives are are non-existent. It's not worth it to give anybody keychain. So suppliers can come out and have a. In, in the state of Washington, however, suppliers can, can come out and have a brewer's night. Just not a good spend anymore um, for them. Um, their time can be used so much better and impact the business differently. And they're figuring that out, that these brewer's nights aren't all that they're cracked up to be. Um, but they, in the Washington state, they could come out and there's a, like they can do some giveaways to the account for free. But the distributor cannot, we cannot do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it seems like this stuff happens, even though it's not legal. Um, and uh, you know, I, you're a distributor. This is in really dicey, ter- dicey territory for you to talk about. But uh, not dicey for me. I, I mean, I don't know what you mean. 
why it's dicey. <laughs> well, uh, I guess I guess the question I would have is, uh, since we know that this happens, it, it, certainly in, in some places, is this a matter of uh, something that the law needs to be, like there needs to be more uh, careful uh, management of it through the law? Is it, I guess laws probably, do, is this, are these national laws or, or local laws that, that regulate this stuff? Hey, I look, guys, I don't, and I, I don't mean to be coming across ignorant. I know what giving away is. Um, um, I suspect, you know, I don't know what you're referring to, but I can speak for my competition and us in this marketplace. And I, I don't know of any shady stuff, and this isn't ignorance. Uh, there's, there's no shady stuff going down in regards to giving stuff away. So I don't know what you're referring to in Oregon, but I, I, I know distributors want the good distributors want no part of that. Brewer, I believe, can come into the account and give, like I said, give a few things away. But you know, I mean. Yeah, I, I think you could take a convenience store manager. You could go out to lunch. I mean, I think that's we do that. But I, I don't know what you're referring to as giveaways, and I, and I don't I don't think none of my competition. Okay, is doing that's that cool. Uh, there was I mean there was a case in uh, Massachusetts not too long ago where uh, distributors were paying uh, retailers for tap handles. They got in a lot of trouble. Oh yeah yeah yeah. And there, there was other issues a few years back in Seattle on an issue with, with the Paramount Theater. But I'm telling you, there's uh, – I just don't think I, – I, I, look, this is right. a small market. It's not going down in Seattle. And I, and I know the guys in Portland, stuff like that. If it is going down in Portland, it's, it's – obscure you, you said an interesting thing there you said it wouldn't be good for your business and uh that's not intuitive it's not intuitive to me why that would be the case well why would you want to set that tone i mean we're we're here to grow our business on the quality of our products on the quality of our people on the information that we're providing you on the service levels that are going to exceed all of our competition you tell me what you want gotcha. we'll do it but don't don't ask us. Don't put don't put your hand out. We walk away. It's not even part of the discussion. I assume that if uh, that's the attitude that you have, that retailers there's this seems like there's a little bit of harmony uh, between uh, like cleaner markets versus uh, dirtier markets. We I wrote an article a few years ago, and uh, Deb Carey of New Glarus Brewing. <laughs> Uh, declared that Chicago was a whores market. <laughs> she said everybody has their hand out and everybody wants cash. So, <laughs> and I don't doubt that. I don't doubt that. <laughs> and look, there was a period. I'm right. talking today. We're not talking 25 years ago. And and August Bush the third is going to be here for the All Star game. I don't know. What <laughs> but it looked good that day. It looked really good. But no, that that stuff just doesn't. I, it doesn't happen. Those pressures are. Oh, not really? Out that's there, that's you know? that's. I think I, I, you know these, we're getting mm-hmm. into deep baseball here, and uh, people don't even know really a lot of times that distributors exist, much less how this stuff works. And even people like me don't yeah, know I how mean, this works. Chicago, so this is this is uh, yeah. interesting. Chicago. Uh, yeah, I suspect Chicago is different. I mean, 
you get a major – I don't know how business is done in Illinois. I'm just saying that's not how it's done in the state of Washington, and I don't believe that's how it's done in the state of Oregon. Yeah, I haven't heard too much about it either. Uh, but I know I know that's un- kind of stuff nobody wants to talk about, but I felt like we should we should at least touch on it because it has reared its head in the past, and it, it seems like it, it has been an issue. And if it's – you know, if things are getting cleaned up, that's great. I think everybody – be happy to hear that you're not gonna you're not gonna start saying some people say and i know some people that said that and and i know some people what i mean she's not born in in the no (laughs) (laughs) no uh we're we're not gonna go down that road uh so we're i think we're i think we've taken so much of your time i don't want to take too much more but i i would like to ask a question uh that sometimes it elicits interesting information. We've talked a lot about distribution and maybe you're tired of it and want to, and want to go away. But was there anything that we missed some like really important aspect of distribution that uh, we weren't clever enough to ask or didn't know to ask? Well, I would emphasize, um, you know, I try to look at everything through how other people look at things and, and get an understanding for, for, how you, how people think. And, you know, and I didn't put a ton of time in this, but I'm like, God, I'm talking to some beer guys. How do they look at, at this? They're going to look at it differently than, than I am. And I appreciate you not throwing me the wolves today, but it, it still comes down to, you know, the supplier distributor relationship. That's the most important thing. Now it may not save, you know, great partnerships get divorces. But that relationship for doing business today, right now, what we want to accomplish tomorrow, whether it's with Kulshin, whether it's with Anheuser-Busch, whether it's with White Cloud, whatever it is, it's based off a really solid relationship. And the good distributors prioritize that. The, the, the other good distributors don't prioritize that. And that's just not how we roll because – it's too important to us to have a really good relationship with our supplier. And when they leave this building, it is our charge that they want to come back here quickly and, and we can together move their brands forward. So I don't want this, this, there's not a wall up that I, I sense uh, that you all see that there is the, the, this is an open door. Come on in. We've got information for you. Do we want to be partners? If we don't want to be partners, that's fine too. But let's just be honest and let's treat mm-hmm. each other with respect and let's get along. And, and that's the beauty of the supplier-distributor relationship. And that's what you should focus on more than some of these other topics. If, you were, uh, if, a, if a brewery was just getting started right now and they were thinking, I want to find a distributor, how would you – recommend that they go about finding out like what are the questions they should ask what kind of investigation should they make to determine that it's a good distributor like how how does this apply i would hire an individual or seek seek guidance from an individual to take me to you know what you want to accomplish where do you want to sell and what are the pros and cons of your options in that market because if you only want to sell in a small market that changes everything but if you want to sell in the the entire Western Washington, that's a different dynamic. If you want to sell in Oregon and Washington, that now is a different dynamic. So you need to understand what you want to do and then have someone guide you through those options. 
And there's lots of people that can do that. Yeah, and I can see how uh, if you're a new brewery, uh, the expertise that a distributor has is something you would highly value since you guys have uh, years or decades of experience in all of these things. And it's, as we unpacked here, incredibly complex. Uh, and it's inconceivable to me that new breweries would have all that information. So I'm sure that it is incredibly uh, valuable, the expertise you bring. No, well, I don't know about that, but I'd say the reward for what you're able to accomplish from taking from, from, you know, I love, like I said, to use Colson as an example. Colson is by far the biggest craft brewer up here by far. And they weren't even around seven or eight years ago. And it was the vision, the partnership and what we did together. And it's be, you know, it's one of the most rewarding things that, that we can say as a management team we've done to be able to do this together and look back and see where we were and see where we are now and how we're going forward. It's tremendously rewarding to do stuff like that. Um, complimented, you know, with having success with big national brands, but you know, it doesn't feel the same when I go sit down and have a beer with that guy because you know, it's his sweat equity. It's made this happen. Well, that seems like a perfect place to leave this. Uh, Craig. Oh, not a perfect place. <laughs> Oh wait! I have I have one I have one quick question. The million maybe maybe not the million dollar maybe the billion dollar question for you, Craig. Is, <laughs> are seltzers here to stay? Yeah, they are. They're going to be going well. <laughs> and uh, God love them, boys. God love them. They pay the insurance. They pay the you know get on board. And we are very <laughs> grateful. We got them all. We got them. yeah. You, know, you have to look at those cases are going on the same truck that was pulling out of here two years ago. So there's a lot more cases on that truck. And that, that helps us pay everybody's health insurance, family's health insurance, or, or profit sharing. That helps. And it makes us better at selling craft beer, right. too, so we can, can be good in that area also. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, no, Patrick I thinks that sales are going to go away. I'm more skeptical. I think I'm with you, Craig. I don't think they'll go away. They're going to, and if they do, you know, I have so much confidence in the guy that, that started White Claw that he's going to know where that consumer's going and he's going to be right at the forefront of it. So, get on. Yeah. And, and uh, yes, as we close this here, you know, in one of your other podcasts, we are all paying very close <laughs> attention to that Wisconsin race. So, it's been a pleasure <laughs> talking with you all, and I uh, look forward to meeting you someday. Yeah, we would definitely love to have a beer. At some point, we're going to be able to do that again. And uh, I, I need to get back up to Bellingham. It's fantastic beer town. Yeah, thanks so much, thanks. guys. All right. Well, thanks again to uh, Craig Malarkey. Uh, what a great sport. Thanks for spending so much time with us. Uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, absolutely fascinating. I'm so excited we finally got uh, not only our podcast about beer distribution in, but such a good one. Um, so thanks. I wanted to I wanted to share one thing when you when you mentioned the the Chicago uh, uh, corruption story <laughs> potential corruption. It it brought it brought back a memory of growing up in Madison, Wisconsin, which is not too far from Chicago, about three hours. And the and the story was always this that if you were going to go and uh, visit Chicago, you're going to drive around Chicago. The police were notoriously corrupt at the time. Uh, this is a long time ago. I'm sure, no, I'm sure no longer. But yeah, and, <laughs> and, and, and I should have 
clarified in that uh, interview that that I'm I'm certain that Chicago is all cleaned up now, and I didn't mean to oh, impugn yeah. anybody there. So yes, carry on. Absolutely, but anyway, but anyway, the 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 general uh, rule of thumb, or at least the general uh, advice, was you would clip a paper clip a twenty dollar bill to your license, and so when you got pulled over, usually uh, for no reason, uh, you would show the officer your license, and he or she would take it back to the squad car and come back and say, "Okay, well, I'm going to let you off this time." And lo and behold, your license would no longer have the twenty dollar <laughs> to it. <laughs> This is like common knowledge is what you do if you're going to drive around Chicago. Anyway, to- total uh, plausible, never actually- plausible deniability too. Like, oh no. I exactly. I no, no. On. I just keep my extra. Yeah. yeah. I just little my spare money. I have nothing to do with you, officer. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I actually never had a chance to test that theory out. So, uh, you know, it, maybe it's apocryphal, but. Well, and you yeah, would have gotten the one go. honest cop and been thrown in jail. So probably better that it didn't happen. <laughs> Uh, again, again, sure that's all changed. I'm sure Chicago's fantastic. We actually two weeks ago uh, talked to Shalonda White about Chicago, and I uh, it was delightful, and I'm sure it's a wonderful city. So, oh, it is a by the way, it is a fantastic city, and the reason that people from Madison, Wisconsin, would go down to Chicago is because Madison was you know Madison, it's fine, but Tiny. whatever. But but Chicago, yeah, but Chicago rocks. Chicago's great. It's one of the best cities in the world. The, the uh, Chicago, I'm going to throw this marker out there. The Chicago Art Institute, the uh, museum there, is the best art gallery in the world. Uh, I, I've never been to the Louvre, actually, so I'll accept the Louvre as a as a plausible alternative. But it's better than the MoMA. Uh, it's the best in it's, it's the best in America. I'll, I'll, I'll say that. Yeah, and the uh, the Chicago Museum, what do they call it? Science and Industry, I think, is also amazing. Um, and they're and they're close by. So yeah, yeah. and. The food scene, the culture, blues—you name it. We love, we love, we love everything about Chicago except the Chicago Bears. <laughs> <laughs> I might throw in the Bulls too. Yeah, especially after they beat the Blazers. And the... anyway, yeah, all right. Okay, uh, let's turn to the mailbag. Let's do it. We actually have mailbag. Thank you very much for your mailbag contributions. Um, uh, Jeff, why don't you uh, why don't you get us started? Okie doke. Uh, the first question or the first yeah uh, item comes from. Steve Calderaro. I'm gonna. Uh, Calderaro. Yeah. I'm gonna guess that I'm pronouncing it right. I hope. Uh, Steve, please correct us if I botched it. Provenance unknown, apparently. That's right. However, new listener, I love this. I'm new to your podcast. Uh, question mark or show? Question mark. Yeah, either one is fine. But I've enjoyed the half dozen iterations I've heard so far. I'm wondering if you could or already have addressed how an IPA is defined and whether a new style classification is warranted. This goes beyond hazy and versus West Coast and even the use of different types of yeast, uh, traditional ale, kvike, etc. It seems like uh, there is a line that is crossed when too many adjuncts are added. The fruited or coffee or milkshake iterations bear little resemblance to the heavily hopped ale uh, uh, which the name from which the name was born. Seems like it's mostly marketing to call it IP whatever and misleading. Curious to hear from you uh, and any others that may know more about uh, how the industry feels about this. Uh, It is, I think, an evergreen question, at least over the last maybe 10 years, Steve. Yeah. Uh, And we we have touched on it, but I think uh, you bring up 
the milkshake thing, which is, I don't know that we've actually addressed <laughs> whether we should be calling milkshake IPAs, IPAs, or coffee IPAs, IPAs. Uh, it's a, it, it, we, <laughs> as things advance, we get further and further and further away from uh, what, what IPAs started, whether you, whether you're thinking of IPAs in the, in the United States or uh, Britain, these things are further away from both of those. So do you want to, you want to take a whack at it? I, yeah, I don't know how if I have much new to say than what I said before, but that because IPA has become such a marketing moniker and people just use it as shorthand, like I'd like something hoppy, so they just ask for IPA. What IPAs do you have? That it becomes, there is this incentive to kind of expand uh, what you call an IPA and to, to put that label on on different beers. And yeah, it's becoming, it it to the extent to which it it starts to define more and more diverse styles, it becomes less and less useful as a moniker. So I kind of, you know, I'm, I'm in the camp that, uh, I don't know, you know, you kind of chase your tail when you're really trying to sort of put a, a strict definition down, but I do think that, uh, it needs to be sort of, um, I don't know, reined in. Yeah. I, I used to be pretty clear on this, the answer to this, and I'm getting, <laughs> I'm getting less clear because what happened when, when hazies came around, so everything was all about the expression of hops. And so when people, uh, breweries would put IPL or uh, uh, Session IPA uh, mm. or Triple IPA or Belgian IPA, everybody understood that uh, the quality of hoppiness that they understood uh, yeah. would, would be present. And so I was totally cool with that. But then hazies came along and many of them were extremely, uh, low bitterness, high, uh, attenuation. So they were very sweet and they had these incredibly lush hop flavors, but not so much bitterness. So they were already very fruity. And then you start throwing lactose and blueberries in them. And now they taste like milkshakes. They taste like actually literally like ice cream. They don't, the quality of hops is now gone. It's been, it's been laundered into this new sweet thing. And now to, if a consumer understood the old version of what IPA meant and they taste one of these, are they confused? I think probably I mean, uh, that's not so clear. So, yeah, yeah I have a very uh, functional. I think I think uh, things are getting frayed at the edges. I mean, I have a very functional uh, 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 sort of approach to language, right? I just want to, you know, a, a word is only useful when it it, it connotes meaning that we all sort of, you know, a shared meaning. So communication can happen, and this is where it gets murky. I mean, a hazy IPA does express tons of hops but just not in the way that you used to. It all goes back to hazy IPAs. Those damn things, they screwed everything up. <laughs> I don't, I mean, and then, you know, pale ales, you know, what's a, what's a pale ale that's nice and hoppy, you know, maybe lower alcohol. So yeah, it gets, it gets confusing. What I, I, I think that IPA is okay with me as long as you qualify it. So if you're going to, if you're going to make a hazy IPA, call it a hazy IPA, then I'm okay with that. Or if it's a, uh, you know, some kind of pastry style IPA, make it, make it really clear. But if you're just going to call something an IPA, I still think you're back into that kind of more strict definition. Um, like you said, Jeff, that's something that's quite hoppy, a bit bitter. Um, yeah. You know, drier. To, by the way, you, you, oh, you just gave a nice linguistic uh, explanation for language, which I 
I, I endorse and totally agree with. I will give you an economic <laughs> definition of language, which is there's the prescriptivist and the descriptivist. Uh, and the descriptivists always win, right? Like uh, the prescriptivists want to say an IPA is this. And when you use the word IPA, you must be describing this. Yeah. Uh, and, the, and the descriptivists say IPA is whatever people use. So it's a little bit like the, the, langu- the, the market of language. And I do think it will it will sort itself out at a certain point. We will come to a, a, an agreed upon meaning at some point. I completely agree with you there. I think the, the, the final result is that if you put a label on a can and a customer buys it expecting something and gets something entirely different, then you're going to lose that customer. And so I think in a way it almost self-regulates over time, but it takes time because these are goods that you know you have to you have to buy and open and try before you you come around. So I do think it, it'll kind of have its own, I don't know, evolution. Totally. All right. We've come to a chord. Beautiful. Wow. Hey, look at that. <laughs> Bad radio, <laughs> uh, good harmony. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next mailbag is from a regular commenter, Kyle Navis, who comes to us from the Bay Area. Hi, Kyle. Uh, Ever since listening to the Cream Ale episode, he writes, I have been thinking about how it was created as a response to the popularity of lagers. Jumping to the present, it seems like I've heard whispers and snide remarks from brewers about unnamed, unscrupulous breweries that try to pass off beers brewed with Chico or Colchis, i.e. ales, as lagers or pilsners. Uh, As a parenthetical, he says, I imagine hope... uh, that this has declined a bit in the past few years as competition in this segment has increased. Uh, So two questions from this. Why didn't breweries in ages past just try to ape lagers by passing off clean ales as such? And conversely, why aren't breweries now just owning up about the beers they make as being ales? So this is fascinating. I've not heard this before. You've not heard that... uh... People are trying to pass off ales as lagers. Yeah. So that was, was really common in the 80s and 90s. I remember the Miniman's the local chain here. They would brew a, a, a pilsner, and I would think, "Oh man, that's interesting." They're getting into lagers, and I would ask the uh, the staff, and they would, "No, no, no, it's not really a pilsner. It's just, a, it's just, it's just an ale that we call a pilsner because we don't have the capacity uh-huh. to make pilsners." But I, I'm, I didn't know that they were that that was a thing now because, uh, but I don't think that's happening so much in Oregon. Uh, I think people would immediately see the the falsity of that. Uh, so uh, yeah, I, and I think I think um, you know Kolsch's, for example, have their own popularity. Um, so you can brew a nice Kolsch, call it a Kolsch, and, um, and uh, consumers will will respond. To the first question, I, I also think we don't know. Maybe they did pass them off, and maybe they got away with it. Who knows? Um, I, I think I think the consumer is much more educated now. To to the second point. Um, so uh, yeah. I think I wish I, I I wish I could answer I, I wish I were a proper historian and I could say uh, we know that they did this and the consumer didn't buy it or we we know that they did this and the consumer didn't know but it wasn't reported on um, I, I wish I could say something more about that um, I, I do think that the, the loggers have a really specific and identifiable quality even that a layman uh, not super familiar with beer will recognize and I think that they would not find. Uh, ale, imposter ales uh, as satisfying if they like lagers. Yeah. I mean, that's what I 
suspect as well that there is something innate about the sort of crisp, the crisp cleanness that you get from a lager um, that was uh, too sort of telltale to really. Um, I mean, you could have tried to pass off an ale's lager, but they probably wouldn't have competed well against a real lager, right? So right. It, may have, it may have happened, but they probably died off. I wouldn't expect that you could get away with it um, in the marketplace for a long time. But if people know different, please let us know. And I, and I do think that a lot of these, uh, the brewers in the late uh, 19th century um, were still the immigrant German brewers, and they probably mm-hmm. it would probably would not have occurred to them to try that subterfuge. And, and they would have just been... I mean, I base this on the, the German brewers I know today. Uh, yeah. They just would not do that. So yeah, there's a, there's a way you brew beer, and this is it. And that's it. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, okay. Thanks, Kyle. Thanks, Kyle. Uh, the next, the last one is from Nick, and you know I've never said Nick's last name out loud, so I, I don't know if it's it's Griner. What would you say? That's how I would. That would be my first guess. Nick, man, I, I should have said your name. I should have asked you how you pronounced your last name before now. Uh, he is one of the duo at Rosenstadt, uh, one of our, our fave local brewers. Uh, and he sent me kind of a remarkable email. Uh, I asked him if we could put this on the podcast, and he did not reply. So I'm going to take that as a yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Right? I mean, that seems logical to me and sensible. So we're going to go for it. Uh, it's because it's an amazing story. He writes, uh, so this go- also goes back to our cream ale episode. Uh, the Schoenling Little King's cream ale from Cincinnati was owned and operated by my paternal great-grandmother and her family until I think the late uh, 70s or maybe the early 80s, which is amazing. Like, <laughs> now he owns his own brewery, which is cool. And I think you guys, I want to say... Uh, just to interrupt this, uh, you definitely need to make cream ale, guys, at Rosenstadt. This is like a thing. You Now that I see that it's in the blood, you got to do it. That's right. It's like a family tradition. Come on. It's a family tradition. You got to do it. Uh, and it's cool. It's a cool American thing. Uh, so then he continues. Every time she'd come to our house, uh, she would check our fridge to make sure my dad didn't have any other <laughs> brand of beer around. <laughs> Of course, that's what I would do too. So that's, yeah, that's a fantastic story. Thanks for sharing, Nick. Uh, yeah. I wonder if there's room for sort of like a craft cream ale revolution. I think so. I mean, I, I think it, you know, we talked, uh, in that podcast about how Kolsch's have really found a home here in, in Portland and, mm-hmm. and Oregon and cream ale really hits that same kind of perfect groove of sessionability crispness but also uh the 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 more fruitiness that you get from an ale so it it really it really combines to give you this wonderful uh dual quality kind of the best of both worlds and i I, it's kind of amazing to me that there's not more cream ales particularly given uh that it's the name is so alluring you hear that and you just you just want to buy it i was gonna i was gonna suspect however the opposite that maybe they maybe the name has become just too associated with sort of cheap cheap mass market ales but you know that's what craft beer does they 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 capture uh something essential about an old beer and turn it into something great that's right well if we're dealing with to go to an earlier commenter, uh, milkshake IPAs and the confusion there, we can probably content. We go into the cream ale uh, vein and and change it. So you know, force the descriptionists, descriptivists to 
re-embrace cream ale for what it is. It's delightful. Yeah. I think that, you know, speaking of just nomenclature in general, uh, you know, the, uh, as we've talked about the, the key with, if I'm a brewer, the key is that I want to put something, I want to call my beer something that the, the consumer can recognize, that the consumer sort of relates to. And so that's what I meant earlier about sort of the market almost self-regulating. Like if I try to call a, uh, an ale a pilsner and it doesn't have those essential qualities, well, then I lose sort of that sense of trust or that connection with my consumer, I think. And uh, sort of same thing with putting something that's too far away from what they would recognize as a traditional IPA. Uh, I I do think though that the uh, the 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 West Coast the Northwest for sure market is is wide open for cream ales because we never really had that thing that was really a, a Northeast thing so I I, I do think that a, a company like Rosenstein could give it a, a role and see what happens because I I don't I doubt very many people particularly people who who you know that grew up in the Northeast would have any relationship to that word yeah I mean if you if you look at the popularity. Uh, that uh, came from um, Firestone Walker's 805. You got it. Thank you. Good man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You know, uh, Hawaiian food has become a real sort of popular thing in in in, uh, in Portland. There's like six different restaurants that are all kind of a version of 808, which is the Hawaiian area code. So I always, whenever I start right. saying 80, I always want to finish with an eight. Yeah, I mean, it's it's that kind of thing. You know, a really easy drinking summer sessionable beer. Like cream ale seems like a perfect candidate. So, all right, there you go. This is a, this is your beer consultants. You know, all you craft brewers, your consultants have told you cream ale next big thing. That's right. Get on the get on the stick and uh, get on it fast because it's clearly going to be a wave. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, that puts the wraps on another edition of the Beer Vana Show. So, a few words going out. Um, by the way, before I'm getting a little dry here, I'm going to have one last sip of my rain unfiltered Pilsner from the Pure Project in San Diego. I'll have another sip of my formless reflections, which I got to tell you. So, you know, I, I realize that we often only taste beer that mm-hmm. is pretty good on here on the show. So we, we tend to praise beer more than we uh, condemn it. Yeah. Um, we don't well, I mean, that's, have to get into that's purposeful, so much right? critical like we stuff. We don't want to bring beer we know we're not going to like and just slag off beer. That's not the point of this podcast. To celebrate, we celebrate good beer. Absolutely. All all that is, is background uh, to acknowledge that we normally praise beer, but I have to tell you, this formless refection is maybe one of the best I, uh, hazy IPAs I've ever had. It's wow. crazy good. Oh, thank goodness I have a can too. That's awesome. I know. it's it, So the, the mosaic is giving a little tiny bit of uh, that that uh, savory quality that I don't like, but it works really well here. It, it, it offsets the uh, white wine quality and there's a little lemony thing. I think it's probably from the, the German hop and, oh man, this is a tremendously good beer. That's so, great. Way to go, Pure Project. Yeah. And just so we're not, we're, you know, we're not total psychophants. We do, uh, we both are not crazy about the the moniker murky IPA. So yeah, there you I, go. I, See, I, I would say dump that hard, hard hitting <laughs> criticism. Hard That's hitting. right. But this is pretty cool. I mean, we had a good, we, we pretty, we had a good, uh, uh, recommendation from Beth that this is going to be good, but we did try them for the first time on air. So it's true. Know. A little bit of, a little bit of a risk there, but yeah. what a, what a beer go if you're in San Diego, buy, buy this beer. I envy you. 
Yeah. Well, when we finally are able to travel and we get down to San Diego, we'll definitely stop in. Definitely. Cool. All right. So a few words going out. Please subscribe on Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rate us. Five stars, please. That helps other listeners find the show. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Thanks a lot to uh, Steve and Kyle and Nick today for uh, their contributions. If you would like to send us your questions, your comments, your suggestions, do so. Uh, email jeff at beervonablog.com or you can send us a message through Twitter. We're at beervonapod. Jeff blogs at the Beervana blog and he tweets at beervana. And Patrick tweets at beeronomics. All right. Well, uh, we actually can cheers now. Uh, yeah, we last, can. Last time we didn't have a beer to cheers with. So, um, but of course, I'm not near you, but I have two glasses, so I can. I do of... too. So, oh, look at that. Okay, can we? <laughs> <laughs> can we get the timing right though? All right. All right. Right. Three, two, one. Uh, nice. Close, close enough. <laughs> yeah, that was good. <laughs> All right. Cheers, Jeff. Cheers, Patrick. Uh, stay cool. Yeah. Damn I don't think summer. That we mentioned the heat wave at this point. All right. It's crazy oh, yeah. hot. It's crazy hot. <laughs>